0: Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. They are volunteering their time and stepping up uh, and helping us through this transition time, but I've got... They've been doing just a fantastic job. Exciting news! Next Sunday will be uh, the first Sunday with our new worship leader, Trent in Durham. We're so excited to have him. He's coming from a church just outside of Charleston. And um, I think it was like two Sundays ago, after one of the services, somebody came up to me. They were in town um, uh, from out of town, and they came and they said, "Well, we heard about your new worship leader." I said, "Yeah, we're really excited." And they said, "Yeah, we have some friends who are at the church you hired him away from," and I said. Oh really? And they said, "Yeah, and they're really angry at you." I said, "Sorry, all's fair in love and worship." So, um, uh, so we're really excited about Trenton and, and want this service to be real meaningful for you. And as we uh, welcome other people to this family of faith uh, here at Roswell Presbyterian Church, this is the last Sunday on our teaching us to pray a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, and then next Sunday we'll be turning. To the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we're going to spend four Sundays on it as we think about generosity and we look to 2020 as we take commitments, financial commitments, what uh, people promise to give to help the ministry at Roswell Presbyterian Church happen. So we really look forward uh, to that and we've already been preparing to see what, what does it mean to flourish And to contribute to flourishing here at RPC as individuals, but also as a community, and then the broader community that God cares so deeply for. So we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, uh, this last line of the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. These big, expansive ideas. But I also wanted to complement it with a passage from Revelation, Revelation 4, verses 9 through 11. And John has been given this great vision. He has this dream. It's almost an apocalyptic vision about the end of all things. And he goes into what's called doxology or praise for God of what God is going to do. So let, us, let me read this passage for us. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever the 24 elders fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever they cast their throne their crowns before the throne singing you are worthy our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they existed and were created. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this great vision you've given us. And I pray, God, that as we're thinking about these big ideas, these big, uh, this big cosmos and world that you've created, that we might not just learn new facts, but we would learn And be compelled to be in a relationship with you that we might turn our hearts, our minds, to be present to you as you are ever present to us. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I could never be a Roman Catholic priest. And there's several different reasons, but I would need to tell you a story. I chose to go to Princeton Theological Seminary for one reason, because it offered the diversity of theological and philosophical opinions and perspectives that I wanted to study, that I wanted to hear so that I could make my decision about what I believed for myself, and I had good information. And so when I was up there in New Jersey, I I tried to learn all I could. My third year, my final year, I interned with the Aquinas Institute. And the Aquinas Institute is the Roman Catholic student organization at Princeton University. And when I was interviewing, I interviewed with Father Tom, who is the campus priest. And Father Tom kind of went through the list of my responsibilities. He said, okay, you're going to teach through the catechism for people, students, and faculty who want to get baptized and join the church. You're going to do pastoral care with students. You're going to host parties. And then... You're going to lead and preach at the ecumenical prayer service that goes on once a month. Said, sounds easy enough. Well, I was wrong. The ecumenical prayer service met in the Princeton University Chapel at the center of campus. And it's this huge Gothic architecture structure. It has these enormous vaulted ceilings. It's one of these places where when you speak, you hear your voice reverberating throughout the sanctuary. Beautiful place. We met once a month. It was on a Tuesday night. I think it was like at 10 p.m. There was the choir that was there. All these students would come from the various campus ministries. And I was leading and preaching, which was great until the first uh, service came up and Father Thomas says, okay, Jeff, this is how you're going to start the service. You're going to get up in front of them, everybody who's assembled, You're going to start the service by singing, Oh God, come to my assistance, which was appropriate. (laughs) And I said, are you kidding? Can't I just say it? He says, no, you have to chant it. Oh God, come to my assistance. So I'm only going to do it two more times right now and then at 11.15 the rest of my life. But I just want you to get a sense. Okay, so all these people are here, the choir's here. And so I get up in front of them all. And this is what I do. Oh God, come to my assistance. And they did exactly what you did they laughed at me. And that was my introduction to Roman Catholicism. And I said, I'm going to be Presbyterian. But I've always thought back to, oh, God, come to my assistance as the foundation, the fundamental emotion in our prayer. Oh, God, come to my assistance. Help. Don't leave me alone. Be with me. I need you here. Oh, God, come to my assistance. But who is this God we're asking assistance from? Who is the God we believe in? I remember when I really started conceiving of who God was when I was about 11, in 1989. I went uh, with my fourth grade class to um, the Eastern Washington University Planetarium. Have any of you ever been to a planetarium? You know, it's like really dark. There's the lights on the ceiling that mimic the stars. And I, I knew it was going to be dark in there, so I figured I was going to try to hold some girl's hand or something. But... As I sat there and they leaned our seats back and I'm staring up at the sky, whoever was leading there listed off some data that frightened me. They said, the earth lies 93 million miles away from the sun. The next closest star is four light years away from that. That's 270,000 times the distance we are from the sun. The, the Earth and the universe is 13 billion years old. The universe it's expanding It's 7,000 miles a second. I remember hearing that. I remember going home that night and I was laying in my bed and I had my first panic attack. I went into existential crisis trying to conceive of how massive, how awesome the universe, the cosmos is. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And then to try to conceive that there was a being out there who had created it all, I was brought to silence. Couldn't wrap my mind around it. But there was that prayer that Jesus... Taught his disciples, saying, When you're brought to silence, when you're facing the infinite cosmos, pray then in this way. And the prayer concludes with some awesome words For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It acknowledges how big, how awesome God must be to have created all things. And when we're brought to silence, Jesus teaches us how to pray. Now, how does prayer work? Prayer is a deep, deep mystery. If you've ever met um, a doctoral student or somebody doing their PhD, one of the things they try to do before they write their thesis or dissertation is they try to figure out an area or a topic that's never been researched before, that they can study And they can make an authentic, original contribution to the field of which they're studying. And there was a Ph.D. student who was studying in New Jersey. And Albert Einstein at that time was a professor at the Advanced Institute there in New Jersey. And this dissertation, this Ph.D. student met Einstein and said, Professor Einstein, do you have any advice for me about what I can study, something original I can study? And Einstein said this, Said, find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. Found that fascinating. Then Einstein, one of the great minds of the 20th century, when asked what to study, says, This is a great mystery, study prayer. This great mystery of our relationship to God. I think every human being that has ever lived whether they're a believer or an atheist or somewhere in between, has been brought to a moment where they have prayed. There are no atheists in foxholes, I've heard it said. It's that human impulse to lift our hearts and our minds to God. To lift our hearts and our minds to God. One of the great books on this topic is called Fingerprints of God, The Search for The Science of Spirituality by an author named Barbara Bradley Haggerty. She's a religion and science correspondent for National Public Radio. She was raised as a Christian scientist and she left the religion of her youth. She got older. And she was fascinated, though, with religion and spirituality. And she was really interested in the science behind it. And so she met with all of these scientists who were researching prayer. And she wanted to figure out Does prayer make a difference? And there's this whole school of thought that she goes into one chapter about, yes, prayer does make a difference. Prayer does change things. Then in the next chapter, there's this whole other school of thought that says, we really can't be sure. There's too many factors that go into it. There's the placebo effect. There's too much for science to wrap our minds around whether prayer makes a difference. And so Barbara goes through this book, she sends 284 pages of studying the science of spirituality, meeting with some of the greatest minds that are alive today, the intersection of science and religion. And so she comes to the very end, and she summarizes her findings in the very last paragraph. She writes, I end with the question that launched my journey. Is there more than this? Yes, I believe there is. And the new science of spirituality buttressed my instinct. Science is showing that you and I are crafted with astonishing precision so that we can, on occasion, peer into a spiritual world and know God. The language of our genes, the chemistry of our bodies, and the wiring of our brains. These are the handiwork of the one who longs to be known. And rather than dispel the spiritual, science is cracking it open for all to see. Of course, these are only my conclusions. But I am not alone in this. This impulse animated the mystics and gave voice to believers down the centuries. For you formed my inward parts, the psalmist wrote. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We have all about us the fingerprints of god we are created by one who wants and desires to be known great women and men of science einstein himself said there is a great mystery to prayer but the god of the cosmos wants to be in relationship with us desires to be known and when we're brought to silence jesus says this, then, is how you should pray in a very personal way to the God of the universe. Now, there's one thing I need to warn us about, that a lot of us try to be really religious when we pray. We try to sound like we know what we're talking about. We try to sound like we're going to impress God with our prayer. Many, <coughs> excuse me. Many of us pray what I call avatar prayers. Do you know what an avatar is? You know, if you're on social media, it's that little that little square picture you have of yourself? You know, and and what kind of pictures do you you pick for your profile pic? You pick the one where you're on the beach drinking a margarita in Mexico, or you pick, you know, you're on Mount Rushmore smiling like George Washington. You know, you pick the pictures where you're beautiful, you're bright, things look good. You don't pick the pictures where you're depressed, where the world feels like it's all against you. And sometimes that's how we approach our relationship with God. We fake it. And God desires to be in a relationship with the real me. Not going through the motions, but the real I, who I am. Unvarnished. Unedited. Tell me who you really are. I think it would be kind of fun if, if we took a study of the Gospel of Luke and we looked at all the places where Jesus prayed. And we looked at how Jesus prayed. You'll find stories where he prays when he's alone. There's stories when he prays when he's with his friends. There's stories when he prays in agony. There's stories when he prays in joy. There's places where he prays that are sacred on a mountain. There's also common places where he prays. He prays it all, all the time. He lifts his heart and his mind to God. <coughs> he follows what the apostle Paul would say, pray on all occasions, or he would say, pray without ceasing. Now I don't think Paul had this mind that, or in his mind, that we shouldn't like go grocery shopping or we, we shouldn't do anything else other than pray. I think he said we should live our lives in a prayerful way, by which I mean we live our lives against the great backdrop of God's reality in the world. So we we know how to do this. If 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 you're married or in a relationship, you go to your work, you run your errands, you you go on business trips, you're not always talking to your spouse, you're not always thinking about him or her. But there is a reality that you live against the backdrop that you're married or in a relationship. And this is the same way, that we live our lives against the great backdrop of God's reality, God's presence in our lives. In the Christian tradition, there are really kind of two kinds of prayers. We have what are called priestly prayers. These are prayers that we, we ask God for things. We pray on behalf of ourselves. We pray on behalf of others, people's needs, anxieties, fears. If you've heard of the priesthood of all believers, that you and I are invited to be priests, that we pray for others. We ask God for things. That's one kind. That's one form of prayer. There's another form of prayer called affective prayer, where God affects us. And this takes more of the mode of silence, contemplation, meditation. We're trying to still our hearts and our minds and make them quiet so that we can hear God's still small voice. And that still small voice says, I love you. But we have to settle ourselves down to be affected by God. And these are the two great traditions of prayer, and really all prayer fits into one or the other, priestly and effective prayers. Now, for many of us, many of us, we think, we assume that the spiritual life, we should get like spiritual goosebumps all the time. We should have like fireworks going off. That We feel like, oh, God's, God's making my neck tingle that's not often how it is. There was a man who came up to a spiritual teacher I was reading about and said, you know, I'm really struggling. I don't feel God's presence in my life. And the spiritual teacher said, well, God is still at work. And then he said, take, for instance, these two towering giants of the Christian church. The first is Teresa of Avila. She's a towering giant she spent much of her early life in fervent, fervor prayer, felt God's intimate presence. And then she says in her autobiography, she experienced 18 years of spiritual dryness. Or maybe you read about Mother Teresa, the other one. All this great stuff she did, and she started out with a meaningful prayer life. And then for the next 60 years, she said she didn't feel God's presence. She didn't feel it, but she still responded, lived her life against the backdrop of God's reality, being aware. So God isn't isn't a technique or God isn't magic always um, at our beck and call, at our service. But we shouldn't misread it, that sometimes when God acts, that's him acting. This principle maybe was best articulated by the, um, the great towering theologian, Garth Brooks in his song, Unanswered Prayers. I love that song. right? He's, he goes to a football game with his wife, and he sees, he sees a woman that he remembers back in high school that he'd prayed and said, God, I'll do anything. I'll never ask for anything again if you let her be my girlfriend. And now he looks back on God's unanswered prayer, and in the chorus he says, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs, And just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. I think it's a great reminder. It's a great reminder because we never know how God is at work in our lives usually in the moment. It's like that great vision I read at the beginning of that apocalyptic vision at the end of all things. Where we can make sense of the past. When we look back, oftentimes God's grace and God's hand at work is only seen in the rear view mirror. We only see it looking back. Oh, your unanswered prayer was actually the answer I was looking for. I just didn't know. And that's kind of our lives. So we finish the Lord's prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. God, you're a God of the cosmos. I can't wrap my mind around it but I know that you want to be in relationship with me and you've given me words to pray. Jesus says, pray then in this way. I think for, to grow in your spiritual life, you need to come to church regularly. You need to center yourself, hear the word, offer your hearts up in worship, pray with the body, with the community. But you also need daily times to center yourself on Christ. To keep in mind the great backdrop of God's presence in your life and in the world. To offer prayers and let yourself be affected by God. Now probably my only contribution to the the Christian church really has been my invention of what I call the spirituality of dog walking. A number of years ago I got a dog. And you know if you have a dog, dog's got to be walked. And so I'm the official dog walker in the family. And so I did this every day, and I realized there was a way that I could use this as a spiritual practice. And so I take the same route in my neighborhood every day so I don't have to focus in on anything else, and I pray either or both the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23. And it's a time of quiet solitude where I center myself on what really matters. I try to lower my anxiety, offer my cares to God, I pray in the way Jesus taught. I don't care if it's on Tuesday morning at 5.30 in the morning, or this morning at 6 a.m. But focusing myself against the great cosmic backdrop of God's presence in the world. I think you need that in your daily life. It might be on your dog walks, but it might be in the shower. It might be while you're making breakfast. It might be just in solitude. What are you doing to center your life around God and God's presence in your life? Jesus wants to be in relationship with us. He's revealing himself to us. This great God of the cosmos wants to be in relationship. And when we're at a loss for words, Jesus says, pray then in this way. So let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you desire to be in relationship with us. You've given us words that, are powerful, and speak to the most meaningful parts of human life. We pray, God, that even when we don't feel your presence in our lives, we might live by faith and hope and respond to your call. Lord, we thank you that in the midst of our silence and frailty of words, you've given us words to pray. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.